Thank you so much for joining us today. We're always encouraged to know God is working through new beginnings to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please let us know. Send us an email at mystory@newbeginningsnj.org. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Ushers, you can receive the offering and help me welcome our lead pastor, Pastor Joe Source. Praise God. I am uh, very, very excited to see so many of you here tonight, especially with the nasty weather outside. I was driving here tonight, and I was like, I was tempted to start thinking, okay, nobody's going to show up tonight because of the weather. But uh, thank you. Thank you for coming because it's, uh, it's extremely important that we talk about the topic that we've been dealing with over the past few weeks. I'm going to wrap this subject up tonight. We're talking about breaking bad cycles. Amen? How many are tired of having negative cycles over and over again in your life? Just a few people. How, how many of you? Because the ones that don't raise your hand will be the ones that are calling us for counseling appointments this week. How many of you believe that it is necessary and vital to our future to break negative cycles in our lives? Amen. Amen. They're, they are dangerous patterns. And they're usually dangerous, dangerous patterns of sin and life-controlling issues that keep surfacing in our life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to review a little bit more because there's some of you I, I know that have not been here the past couple of weeks, so I want to review a little bit and maybe kind of stir up your appetite and stir up your expectancy for tonight. Um, if you were here this past weekend, we talked about faith being an attitude of expectancy, and we talked about an easy way to remember that whole concept is expect and see. Now, let's do it again. Expect and see. Because if you don't expect, you're not going to see. Amen? So I hope that you have an expectation for tonight. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Very familiar portion of Scripture, but let's put it into the context of what we're actually talking about tonight. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I want you to pay attention to this next part of this verse, let us lay aside every weight... How many of you are tired carrying weights? How many, how many feel like you're carrying a, a, a knapsack on your back full of, full, of, uh, full of bricks, just issues from the past and unresolved things? And so let us lay aside. So, so right here, we, we see that we have some responsibility. I know uh, we as Christians don't like that word, responsibility, but we have responsibility. Until you learn that you have responsibility and that you're expected to take responsibility, you're going to live a frustrated life. All right, because you're going to expect somebody to show up for you that, that is, not, is not coming. Amen? So let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Amen? And, that, and that's the way sin operates, and I'm sure you've noticed that by now. There's an ensnaring. There, there's, there's a lure. There, there's a deception of, of thinking of, of a thought that, you know, if you go for this, it's going to really be great. It's going to, it's going to feel good. It's going to do something for you. And, but, but then the consequences are always hidden. And so, uh, the, the, so, so let us lay aside. You got this? Lay it aside. Okay, sometimes, you, sometimes you're not going to be able to obliterate it, but you can lay it aside and go around it. Okay, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with what? Endurance. It's not going to happen overnight. You didn't get into the place that you're at overnight. You're not going to get out overnight. 
Okay, well, well, Pastor, aren't there people that get delivered instantaneously? Yes, there are people that get delivered instantaneously, but unless they learn how to maintain their freedom, many times they get ensnared right back again. Why? Because there's negative cycles. Are you getting this? So let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the only way it's going to happen. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I could spend the rest of the night just pulling this portion of Scripture apart, word for word. But, 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 but for the sake of time and the sake that I have to finish this, this third part tonight, I'm going to ask you to go home. When you go home tonight, when you, before you go to bed, when you wake up first thing in the morning, go to this verse of Scripture and let it speak to you. Let it speak to you particularly about the part that you play in this. Okay, there are some Scriptures where it's all on God. This Scripture here is God's grace and mercy is providing for us for a way to get out from under some of these things, but we have some responsibility. That was a good place for you guys to say amen. (laughs) So when the cycles that we're talking about, these cycles left unchecked, they will always result in even more cycles. Negative cycles, if they're unchecked, negative cycles, if we do not resist them, if we don't do whatever we need to do to break those cycles, they, they cause another cycle to start operating right alongside it, almost like gears. And that cycle is the cycle of guilt and condemnation. You blow it. You fall for the trap. You fall into that negative cycle. Whatever it is, you fill in the blanks, okay, because the principles always work the same. No matter what the topic is, no matter what the subject of the, of the cycle or the, or, the, or the root of it is, it always operates the same way. We fall We recognize that we've fallen. We get up. We start to cry out to God. And then the gears start with the other cycle of guilt and condemnation. I remember many years ago when I first became a Christian, I would say the first four to five years, possibly even eight years, I would spend minimum of two hours in prayer. Now, that sounds real spiritual, doesn't it? That sounds like if if I was sitting there and I heard heard me say that, I'd go, well, I wish I could spend two hours in prayer. But what you're not understanding is, let me dissect those two hours. An hour and a half would be spent saying, I'm sorry. Saying, I can't believe I did it again. Beating myself up. Literally, literally, literally wanting to hurt myself either through my own words or whatever because I did it again. I blew it again. Until I understood, which is probably what I need to teach after this series, Until I understood what it meant to be righteous in the sight of God, until I understood the principles of righteousness, which which, uh, you guys remind me, Pastor Beth, Jerry, remind me to start a series next in a couple weeks about righteousness, okay? Because we need to follow up with that. Because if you don't understand righteousness, you're going to fall back into the trap of guilt and condemnation again. Because righteousness, biblically, biblically accurate, Scripturally correct righteousness means this, the ability to stand in the presence of God without any guilt and condemnation. Now, now you won't do that until you understand that you cannot earn righteousness. 
It is imparted to us. It is something God knows there's no way. Here, I'm starting the series already. I can say it. <laughs> there is no way for you to walk in righteousness. There is no way for you to see yourself in righteousness and right standing with God. If you do not understand, it is not dependent on your conduct. It is dependent on Jesus' conduct. Through his death, burial, and resurrection, God, when we place our trust in him and declare our faith in Jesus Christ, he takes us, shakes the junk and the dirt off, and places us in a position of right standing. But, but pastor, I'm still sinning. He knows that. And that's the mercy of God, because if, if it, righteousness depended on you stop, stopping sin, none of us would, we'd, there'd be absolutely no possible way for us to walk in righteousness. But we'll talk about it in a couple of weeks from now. Amen? Amen. You guys will remind me, right? So let me review a little bit because we, we talked about step number one and the ingredients for a breakthrough. Because to break a bad cycle, you need a breakthrough. Okay, there's an initial punching through. You get on the other side of it. And we talked a few weeks ago about thresholds and the importance of thresholds. Many, many times, not, not only do we need a breakthrough, but we need a threshold experience. A threshold experience is an experience that you have gone through, something that you have, have um, endured, something that you have experienced where you know, okay, there's a threshold here. That was then, and this is now. That's what my life was then. This is what my life is now. That is way more powerful than a breakthrough. A threshold not only is a breakthrough, but listen, listen, it's a breakthrough with a memorial attached to it. Are you listening to me? Yeah. A memorial, a, a breakthrough is, a threshold is a breakthrough with a memorial attached to, to it, such as what happened in Joshua in the beginning of the book of Joshua, when they were instructed by God to cross over the Jordan River, and God gave them instructions to take 12 stones and to place them in a specific area, okay, so that in the future generations, they would say, what is this? pile of stones about and he said that's the day we walked through the Jordan when God split it and we came across so you see what I'm saying so they would point and say well our life on the other side of the Jordan was was this but now on this side of the Jordan it's different and they had that memorial to point okay you and I need those kind of those kind of breakthroughs and those kind of thresholds we need memorials we need to be able to point to an event that took place in our lives and, and obviously the most the most powerful illustration that I, I would venture to say most of in this room have had is our born-again experience. When, when you came to that place that you realized who Jesus was, your heart, you, you had faith in your heart that he is the son of God, that he did die on the cross for our sins, that God did raise him from the dead. It's real to you. It's real to you. You believe it. It's, it, your heart is just 100%. And then you spoke at your mouth, Jesus, I believe in you. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Your spirit came alive unto God. It got connected to God. And so you can point back to, you know, I point back to April the 25th, 1984, on a Wednesday night at 930. That was my threshold. That's my memorial. I can pass, I can ride down on the other side of Bricktown and go past the building where it actually took place. That memorial, that's my threshold. My life was, was, was unsaved before that. And, and I could put it even clearer. I was going to hell up until that point on that Wednesday night, April the 25th, 1984. What time? 9.30. And 
I could go to sleep that night and, and go like, like this. <sighs> Which was probably the first time in 27 years that I could do that. Now, if we had the time and we passed the mic around, there'd be many stories of thresholds here. Many stories of the person that maybe the last time they smoked dope, the last time they, they went and watched porno, the last time they, they went to a bar and got drunk, the last time at whatever. Okay, you fill in the blanks for whatever it is. It might not even be anything that drastic in your life, but you can point to a time and say that that was, that was the last time. Amen? Amen? We need those breakthrough experiences. So, so number one, the ingredients for breakthrough, all change begins with desire. How bad do you want change? Some people want change. They want change, but they don't want to change. I want change. I want to change. Well, you don't change until something changes. If you're going to keep adding up two and two, guess what you're going to get? Now, if you're content with four, then stick with four. But if you keep saying, I don't want four, I don't want four, I don't want four, but you keep adding two and two, what are you going to have? So what do you have to change? The equation. Are you listening? So Matthew 7, 7, again, this is just review and I want to move quick. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. For everyone who asks, come on, come on, come on. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. But somebody's got to ask, somebody's got to seek, and somebody's got to knock. You can't sit in the house, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change, I want to change. There's no asking, there's no seeking, there's no knocking. It's not going to happen. It does, there's no magic wand. Okay? All right. Christian author John Eldridge writes, desire is always where the action is. Think about that. Think about that. Desire, you're going to find your desire where the action is. Whatever action you're taking is, is reflective of a desire that you have, okay? In other words, whatever you're doing right now is evidence of your desire. For instance, you came out tonight on a miserable night. It's nasty outside. It's chilly. It's raw. <laughs> but you're sitting in church. So, so or, or, or somebody may be listening to this online. What is that reflective of? You have a desire in your heart to change, to grow spiritually, to gain knowledge and information that's going to be used in the future to affect change or transformation. You come, this is why I love Wednesday nights, because Wednesday night people come with a desire. Okay? Well, well, what about the weekend? No, the weekend Sunday is like, you know, of course, nobody in here in this room. But some people, some people come on a Sunday morning because they want to be able to, ah, I did my duty. I went to church. Now I can go into my, 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 my week now and, and not have this condemnation that I didn't go to church on Sunday. Don't, don't, don't look at me like that. You know exactly what I'm talking about, okay? But Wednesday nights, you know, I, when I first got born again, and I would tell my wife, you know, she wasn't saved yet. She wasn't coming to church yet. But she watched me for 18 months to make sure this wasn't going to wear off. And uh, when I told her I'm going to church on a Wednesday night, she said to me, who are you kidding? Where are you going tonight? I said, no, I'm in this, 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 new church, this new church that I'm going to. This church, they have service on Wednesday night. She said, get out of here. Nobody has services on Wednesday night. I said, no, seriously, they have church on Wednesday nights. She goes, where are you going, Atlantic City? 
I said, I'm going to church. I will bring home the bulletin with the date on it to show you that I went to church. Because, you know, nominal Christians or Christians, just surfacey Christians, don't normally take the time out to go to a midweek service. But I love Wednesday nights because your desire and your expect and see causes the Holy Spirit to give me more illumination in the word to meet the hunger that you're displaying. Amen. You understand it? You, you catch it. So, so you see how cooperative it is? If you, you see, that's what happened to Jesus when he went to the synagogue in Nazareth. They had no expectation. They literally got offended. They said, we know this guy. This kid, he used to play with my kids in the street. And now here he is, he's coming preaching to us. And so they had no expectancy. In fact, the Bible says they got, actually got offended. And their offense shut down their faith. And the Bible goes on to say that he, the one who raised the dead, cleansed the lepers, opened up blind eyes, opened up deaf ears, the mutes talked, could not do any great work there. And it wasn't because he didn't have any power. It was because they had no expectancy, faith. You hear what I'm saying? So, so it all starts with desire. If you're going to change things, then you have to change what you're doing. You have to change your patterns of living. You have to change your appetites. You have to change the cravings. You have to change the desires and funnel your, and channel your desire where they're going to, that desire is now going to trigger action that's going to bring transformation. Does this make sense? Yes. You see how it all works? When you understand the mechanics, you go, oh, okay, so I, if I plug in my desire, now it's, and, I, and, I, and I set it in the right direction to cause the right action to take place in my life, then at the end of this process, I should be able to expect a different result. But if you keep doing the same thing over and over again, and you expect something different to happen, there's a place for people like that. We got it? So here's what I'd like you to do. And, and, and trust me, I'm not doing this. I don't want anybody to display any kind of reaction. I don't want you to lift your hand. I don't want you to blink. I don't want you to grunt. I don't want you to do anything. Because this is an inward thing I'm about to ask you to do, okay? Just think about this right now. Just think, if you have to close your eyes, close your eyes. If you were to inventory the areas of your sin, you're suggesting that I sin? They will reflect the desire that you have. What is the thing that trips you up? Don't, don't, don't shout it out. Don't just make believe nobody else is in the room. And just, just think about that on the inside, on the inside. Because that, now, now measure that desire against God's will and purpose for your life. It doesn't match up. But God made us to have desires. So it's a matter of us channeling our desires. It's a matter of us directing, recognizing them, recognizing them, and then shifting the direction that they're going to bring. Because every desire brings you in a direction. Your desire to gain information, to be in the presence of other believers, and to sit uh, in the presence of, of, of anointing and the word of God being preached, that desire caused you to come here tonight. Are you catching it? Are you getting this? So, so now, now you should have a, a very um, active expectation 
that at the end of tonight, it should result in something that you can literally see change in your life. Now, it might not be that drastic. For some people, it, it, it will be. But it's more like adding to your arsenal. So, but it took you to channel your desire. Okay? I walked out of the house and I went, oh, you kidding me? This weather stinks. Maybe nobody will come and I could stay home. But, but you see what I'm saying? Your desire took you in a direction. Are you catching? I, I don't know. If, I can't stress this enough because sin sneaks up on us. It sneaks, but it's never, we're never unaware of it. And, and what do we always say? Oh, I can't believe I did. No, of course you can believe you did this because even if it was a split second, you knew where you were going. So let's talk about those desires. Let's talk about, let's talk about the sin. Yeah, we're going to talk about the sin. Think about this. Stealing is an attempt to fulfill the desire without working for it. You can't call it anything else. Stealing is an attempt to fulfill a desire to get something, to experience something that you don't want to work for. Okay? Adultery, porn addiction, substance abuse. Now we're getting to the heavy stuff now. Manipulation and control, which is emotional abuse. Overeating is an attempt to fulfill an unfulfilled or ungodly desire. Now, if we would recognize that, then we would go to God and say, look, I'm not, we're not, you know, I'm not, there's no use me trying to kid you. You know what I have in my heart. You know what I'm craving. You know what I'm, what I'm, what I'm being drawn to. You know what I'm being tempted with. I'm not going to lie to you, Father. The desire is there. But you can change this, and you can fulfill that need, and you can fulfill that longing, and you can fulfill the whatever you fill in the blanks so that I don't have to fall into sin. I can rechannel this. Re Does anybody get what I'm talking about? Okay. Lying is an attempt to create a desired outcome without any regard for truth. It all starts. We don't do anything without desire. We have a desire. And some of it's ungodly. Some of them are godly. Now, you know, we can take an ungodly desire, bring it to God, and he can shift it so that we're no longer desiring the thing that's ungodly, but it's going to take change, and it's going to take owning up to it, and it's going to take coming clean with him. And, and honestly, sometimes talking to other individuals, it's okay, but it doesn't, it doesn't fulfill the need the way just getting before God and being completely honest with him. Uh, is this helping anybody tonight? Yes. So when we become aware of our actions, we can chart where we are heading. Change your desires and you'll change your direction. You got that? Change your desires and you'll change your direction. I don't understand, Pastor. I don't understand why I keep ending up in the same spot. Because you keep staying on the same road. You, you, are you getting what I'm saying? You, you know your heart. And even if you don't understand it, you go to God and you say, Father, but your Holy Spirit lives in me. Speak to me by your spirit. Speak to me spirit to spirit. And show me 
Why do I keep getting attracted this way? Why do I keep leaning this way? Well, you know, iniquity, you know, we, sometimes we replace that word iniquity for sin, but iniquity is sin that you lean towards. How many of, our, in our, how many of you can think of something in your family and generations in the past, and you saw it go from generation to generation to generation, the same stinking thing? Just a few of us. Okay, and, and sometimes, sometimes we say, I'm never gonna, that's never going to happen to me, and we condemn the generations before us, and then you wake up one day and you go, it's me. It's me. You see what I'm saying? Why? Because you, you, you saw it, but you didn't change the direction because it's a good possibility that the same unfulfilled longings that your great-grandfather had, you're having. Because it's trained behavior. You, you listening to me? Normally, I, when I've met people who entertain victim mentalities, you can almost be guaranteed that you're going to trace it back at least two or three generations. Why? Because, because that person who's in the present generation now, that was their normal. They sat at the kitchen table, and they heard the grandparents and the parents and the aunts and uncles talk about, oh, we've never had any luck, and if it wasn't for bad luck, we'd have no luck at all, and nothing ever goes our way. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You, don't talk, you sat there, and you listened to it, and you went, okay, that's, that's normal. That's the way it is, okay? Until you get away from everybody, and you realize not everybody in the world is crazy. <laughs> so number two, oh, man, I got to move along here. Don't judge your future by your past. The past is set. Your future is being determined right now by your beliefs and your words and your actions tonight. You, you are formulating what you're going to walk in tomorrow right now. We speak words, and we think that they're harmless words, and then five years go by, 10 years go by, and you realize, oh, wait a second, I've been saying this for so long, and now here it is, it happened. Because we think our words are harmless, but we, yet we forget that we're in the same species, and I know, just, just listen to me, okay? You were created, and I was created in the image and likeness of God. That means we're in the same species as God. And God created the entire universe with his words. And Jesus instructed us and told us to make sure that we use our words the right way. He told us to speak to the mountain, not speak to everybody else about the mountain. Because you talking about the mountain isn't going to make, the mountain doesn't move. The mountain just gets bigger and goes, ha, ha, ha. And you go to everybody, you you stand my mountain, you stand my mountain is chasing me. And you think the more you suck your thumb and you complain and you, and you, you want everybody to feel sorry for you. you feel, I don't need anybody. So you feeling sorry for me doesn't change anything. I like that one. I haven't heard that one in a long time. I know that's right. The truth is, again, what are we talking about? Do not judge your future by your past. Every day presents new opportunities and new circumstances. Things change. People change. Conditions change. What might have been impossible yesterday may very well be possible today. Amen? I want to skip through some stuff here because the time is going by. All right, no, I can't. I got to do this. All right, last week, I think I talked about Judges chapter 6. I talked about Gideon, okay? 
Um, but I want to go over that again, and I want to kind of tie that up. I think I just finished introducing that. I finished the night last Wednesday night by introducing Gideon, okay? Judges chapter 6. And the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak, under the oak of Ophrah and be, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. We talked about this last week. Only crazy people thresh wheat in a wine press. Okay, only crazy people thresh wheat in a wine press. Why? Because a wine press has walls around it, sometimes this high. And in order for you to thresh wheat, threshing wheat is that you break up the kernels so that the outside, um, um, what? Chaff. Yeah, is that what you want to call it? Okay. The, the skin on the outside has to break off because you've got to get rid of that. And the only way to do that is to throw the, the wheat kernels up in the air so that the breeze that comes by removes the chaff, the outside, which is much lighter than the kernels, and the kernels fall to the ground. You get left with the kernels that you crush and make flour with. Okay? You got that? Okay. So, so how are you going to do that when you're in a, in, a, in a contained area with walls that are stopping the breeze? So could you imagine this poor guy all day long going, <laughs> and nothing's happening? And Jesus must have had a real laugh out of it. So the angel of the Lord shows up on the scene. And uh, where was I? Verse 12. Verse 12. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. Say it. Go ahead. Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. And, and I would picture Gideon go, who walked in? Because a mighty warrior doesn't hide in a wine press waiting for a non-existent breeze to take away the chaff so he can make flour. But listen, Jesus never calls you who you are. He always calls you what he wants to make you. Amen. And we better thank God. Amen. So he calls a mighty warrior in verse 13. We see the victim mentality. We see a person who's judging his present and his future by the past and does not want to take responsibility. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Now, the Lord, who he's accusing of abandoning him, is standing in front of him. You catching this? Okay. So it was much easier for Gideon to blame God for his condition than it was for Gideon to take responsibility and say, okay, even if it's true that all of my family has been completely dysfunctional for generations, it's going to stop here. But what some people do, of course, nobody in here, but what some people will do is they will go through the rest of their life not, not changing anything because you can justify your actions because of your father and your uncle and your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandfather and your uncle from 150 years ago. You listening? Let me tell you something, okay? I, I pray that you will, this will cause you to do an inventory in your life. And start listening to the words that are coming out of your mouth. Because if you're one of those people like, like that has a problem for every solution, okay? <laughs> Sooner or later, nobody's going to want to talk to you. And no one's going to want to ask you that all-famous question, how are you? 
because they can tell you how you are because <laughs> they've heard it so many times. Now, I know nobody in here has ever, you know, but you probably know somebody. You'll probably be brushing the teeth of that person tomorrow morning in the mirror. <laughs> Listen to me, okay? I, I, look, I, 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 I'm sorry if this is coming across like, I'm trying to make light of it because it hurts so much when we recognize the truth that we're the ones who are responsible for our own problems. I'm trying to make light of it, but, but seriously, we've got to stop this junk of just perpetrating. We can't keep doing this. We're destroying our generations in the future. We've got to take responsibility for our actions. It's got to stop here. We can't, well, this is just the way I am, you know, it's the way I'm raised. No, stop it. You're, you're playing Gideon. You want to blame God, you want to blame your parents, you want to blame anybody else. Stop it. Verse 14, that same Judges chapter 6. The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have. And save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? What, what, what was Jesus saying? Now, again, I say Jesus because the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is Jesus pre-incarnate before he comes to the earth. Okay? You catching this? So, so now notice this. Jesus doesn't answer his accusations. Why? Because it's only going to set more argument in motion. Do you ever try to talk somebody out of a situation that's killing them? But, but, but you don't understand. No, I don't understand. Neither do you. That's why you're talking stupid. No, but, but, but the doctor said there's no cure. Yeah, keep talking yourself into it. The doctor said that my cancer, my blood pressure, my diabetes, my, you fill in the blank, my, my, my. What, did you take a patent out on it? If you're a child of God, it's not yours. It's the enemy's, and he's trying to put it on you. And he, through circumstance and through emotional hurt and unresolved issues, he wants you to take ownership. My addiction. Did you originate it? Here we go. And exactly what I just said is what happens in this portion of Scripture. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have. In other words, you just forget about what happened in the past. You go, because I'm sending you. And basically, what he was saying was, I'm enough for you. Now, stop making excuses. It doesn't work the first time. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. What is he saying? No, I can't. We're all messed up. My whole family's messed up. We're messed up, he's telling Jesus. You don't understand. All we know is mess up from generation to generation. And you want me to go and do this? You want me to go and conquer these enemies who've who've been harassing us for decades? Me? Are you kidding me? Me? Moses tried to do the same thing. I can't, 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 can't talk. And God got so fed up with him at one point. He goes, all right, good. Just stay like that, and I'll send your brother. He'll talk. You can't keep making excuses to God. 
And the Lord answered, I will be with you. In fact, I like it the way it says in the the King James. Jesus says, the angel Lord says, go in this thy strength. Am I not with you? You listening? The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. What's Jesus doing? What's Jesus doing? You remember when I taught taught about vision? Jesus is painting the picture of him being victorious. Gideon is trying to hold on to a picture of him being tranced on. And Jesus is trying to get him, no, 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 stop thinking like that. I know about your father. I know about your grandfather. I know about your family from all the way going back to Adam. He said, but I want you to go in this, your strength. I am with you. There's some of us that are facing situations that seem like this is Goliath times 10. But if you'll, you'll grab a hold of this, that he's with you. And he's going to strengthen you. And his presence inside you is what makes the difference between who's going to win that battle. Don't entertain the thought that God did this to me. That was then, this is now. Listen to me. Allow God's words to shape your future and determine your destiny. What did did, did the Lord say? I will be with you. And you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. He's painting a picture on the inside because right now your Midianites look really fierce. And because they've won in the past, you think it can't change. But he said, I will be with you. You got to allow God's words to shape your future. You've got to allow God's words to determine your destiny. And you may have, listen, this is important. Don't check out on me now. You may have to renounce some things you've spoken over yourself. I'll never change. This is the way I'll always be. I hear people saying sometimes, I remember saying these words myself many decades ago. You'd be better off without me. That's what I would say to my wife. You'd be better off without me. I can't change. You'd be better off without me. You'd be better off if I was dead. There's some of us in this room that have spoken those same words. You need to renounce them because you set in motion certain things. I remember, some of you may be familiar with an individual called Kenneth Hagin Sr., okay? The Bible school that we attended, he was the founded the school. He told us a story one day, and I sat there listening to it and just choking back tears. He said one of his board members, very prominent person in Christianity at that time, his son was in the hospital dying. They brought, they asked for Brother Hagen to come and pray for him. He came and prayed. He still died. At the funeral, Brother Hagen is standing there and asked the question of the Lord. What happened here? This is a 30-year-old young man. I've gotten people way older than him to come back from the edge of death. And this is what he heard. He said, there were words that were spoken by this young man 
that he could not reverse because he was in a coma before he died and could not speak words to renounce them. And, he, and, and, and Brother Hagin just was listening to the Holy Spirit. And then one of the brothers of this young man came over to him and said, you know, it's amazing. My brother has been saying for the past 10 years, I'll never make it past 30 years old. Those words are powerful. Those words are powerful. We need to be careful of the, of the course that we have set for our lives with the words that we speak. They need to be renounced because they keep trapping you. Why? Because your words have created a snare that every time you get so far, that snare, you trip it and it entangles you. You listening? Stand up, everybody. We're not done yet, but stand up. because I can't go on unless we do this. I'm going to lead us in a declaration of freedom. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. Speak it from your heart. Repeat this after me. Father, Father in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus we, repent of every word we repent of every negative word that we've spoken over ourselves. That we've spoken over ourselves. Father, we strike down, we strike down every, declaration every declaration of defeat and failure. Of defeat and, failure. and with all boldness, with all boldness we, come to the throne of grace we come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy, to obtain mercy and, to grace, and to find grace to help us, to help us in, time of need. in time of need. Whenever one of those cycles, one of those cycles begins to surface, we will, we will tap into your grace and defeat it every time. Defeat it every time. We, declare we declare right now, right now this, night, this night, that we can do all things, do all things through Christ that strengthens us. Strengthens we, are we are free from our words of condemnation, from our words of, condemnation, from our words of defeat, from our words of, from our words of, failure, from our words of failure. And we now present ourselves. With a clean slate, ready, expecting to you for you to recreate us on the inside. We receive this with thanksgiving and by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. It is settled. Sit down. I still got seven minutes. Now, now, listen to me. Listen to me. And don't do this if you didn't experience. How many of you felt something lift off of you? You set that into motion. God himself cannot do that for you until you use your words to set that in motion. Oh, that's not possible. God could do anything. No, no. He could not let you in heaven until you, with the words of your mouth, spoke what you believed with your heart about the Lord Jesus Christ. You triggered the grace of God to be released in your life by the faith that you displayed. Are you listening to me? Yes. All right, good. So let me just real quick, just go over a couple more principles and then we're done for tonight. We'll be done with the series. Live your life as much as possible according to the word that you know. Live your life as much as is possible by the word that you know. Now, in my stupidity years ago, decades ago, I used to think, well, if I limit myself to how much word I know, 
then I can't be held responsible. Because, you know, I'm crafty like that. I think like an attorney, like a lawyer. Okay, I'm looking, always looking for the loopholes. But I forgot one thing. The devil doesn't play fair. And just because you don't know something in the, something in the word doesn't mean he's not going to attack you in that area. So we very much need to know whatever God has for us so that we can cooperate with him. So, so again, um, let me go to Joshua 1.8 real quick because I can't think of a better scripture. Live your life as much as possible according to the word you know, okay? Joshua 1.8, New King James Version. This book of the law, talking about the word of God, okay, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. Read, the, read this, next, this next phrase with me. Ready? One, two, three. That you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. You could throw that in too. Who needs to do the doing? We do. That you, that you observe to do according to all that is written in it. It's not enough to know it. You've got to do it. Okay? It's not enough to know it. The devil is not impressed because you know how to recite something. Okay? The power of the enemy is broken off of our lives when we do the word that we know. When you have listened to, to, to Scripture after Scripture after Scripture talking about forgiveness and you refuse to forgive, it starts to work in the opposite. Your unwillingness to forgive, your refusal to forgive will start to work against you because it's a principle of God. So it's not, it doesn't matter how many scriptures you can repeat and recite. Are you doing? When, you're, when we're commanded to love one another and love one another, and it's so many times it's love and love and love, right, enough, enough. The reason he has to constantly do that is because it doesn't come natural for us to love one another. But you repeating all the scriptures about love from the beginning of the book to the end of the book does not break anything. What breaks anything off of you is when you actually do the scripture that you claim you know. Joshua 1.8 says that we will have success when we do and we observe to do the word that we know is written. That was weak. Now, I'm not, I'm just not, it's just not because I want to hear, amen, amen. It's because I want to know, did you get this? Because so many people, uh, Pharisaic-type individuals, Because when they talk about the Bible, it's all these and thous. Oh, they can repeat the scriptures. But it's some of the most vicious individuals I've ever met in my life. It doesn't matter how much you know. What matters is what you're doing. It'd be better to, it would be better to do one principle in the word than to know dozens and not do any of them. Because when we walk in the word that we know, we see great success. Because God's word goes before us. It makes a crooked way straight. It makes a way for our breakthrough. Your breakthrough, your breakthrough and your threshold is piggybacked on a scripture. You listening to me? It's piggybacked on a scripture. All right, I got to move on. Isaiah 55, 11. God shows us how this thing works. So shall my word, whose word is it? God's word. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall do what? Prosper in the thing which I sent it. God's word never returns unproductive. God's word never returns without results. 
it never returns void, empty. It always accomplishes what it's supposed to do. That's why I'm saying to you, you've got to have scriptures that you are piggybacking your, th- your threshold experience, your, your breakthrough experience. Has got, you can't just have a breakthrough. I, I, I feel like I'm having a breakthrough. And what? And based on what? And where's the promise? Because as soon as that, watch, this is the danger. As soon as that emotion wears off, it's going to come back with six more like it. I'm going to save number four for when I start the other series. Number five, because it's about righteousness. Number five, don't, this is important, don't invite the cycle back into your life. We had a cat that came to our back door for about six months. I said to mom, can we put some food out? You can't tell the cat to go away, and then you put food out. Go away, cat. You want some milk? You listening? Five years later, the cat is in the house. And she's ridiculously codependent on us. She follows me everywhere from the minute I get up in the morning. Codependent pets. So my point is this. If you want something to go away, stop feeding it. Stop feeding. If you know that you can't watch certain things because they're going to trigger certain uh, sin in your life, then don't. Just do everything possible not to watch that thing. Well, well, I thought we're free now in Christ. Your spirit is. Your soul still has unregenerate desires and cravings. Okay? If you can't handle being in a room with people that are drinking, then don't go in the room. Make sure you tell people ahead of time. Okay? Well, well, I'm kind of embarrassed. Well, then what do you want? You want to be free or you want to be friends with people? Because let me tell you something. If they really love you, they can sit there and have dinner with you without having a glass of wine. It's not going to kill them, okay, if they really love you, all right? Now, can you get to the point where it doesn't bother you? Of course, you can get to the point where certain things don't trigger. But if you recognize weaknesses, you don't put yourself in that position. It's that easy. Well, you know, well, you know what? How bad, go back to point one, how bad do you want it? Now, if you go out to dinner with me, I'm going to tell you ahead of time. Forget it, I'm going to ruin the meal for you. But, but I'm going to tell you ahead of time, no alcohol. Well, 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 you know, it's not a hindrance to me. No, it's not a hindrance to me either. But if I'm sitting in a restaurant with you and you're drinking alcohol and somebody from this church passes by and sees me at the table with somebody drinking alcohol who's got a problem with alcohol... I'm then guilty of stumbling that individual and possibly throwing them into a cycle. So let me ask you a question. Do you love the person more than you love the glass of wine? If you do, then you'll cooperate that way. Amen? Amen? I'll tell you this last story and we're done. Many, many, many years ago, in a galaxy far, far away, (laughs) 
I, I, I was performing a wedding ceremony. And this was one of like the second or third wedding ceremonies I did. And I didn't, I hadn't learned my mistakes yet. I did not ask the people, are you having alcohol at your ceremony, at your reception? Okay? I didn't think of it. Since then, I always ask. Why? Because again, somebody, somebody may see me sitting there. And, and even to a point where I had to tell a waitress one time, who my wife and I ordered ginger ale, but she put it in a wine glass. I said to her, excuse me, can you change this glass? Because it looks like white wine or champagne, you know? So I had the person come and change the glass. I said, well, that's kind of drastic. Oh, no, no, because I love my sheep. I love my, I love my people. And I don't want one of my people thinking my pastor is sitting there with his wife drinking champagne. I guess it's okay. Let me go get some. So get back to that wedding. We do the ceremony. It was bizarre, but we get to the reception and we walk in and they've got tables and tables full of liquor and beer and wine and whiskey and Jack Daniels was all over the place. And I went up to the bride and I said, to her, excuse me, I'm very sorry. This is my fault. I should have asked you. Now, I'm not telling you this to make you feel condemned. This is your wedding. It's your business, but we can't stay. And especially then, because we were on television in town then. And I said, I cannot afford to have somebody who's on the brink get pushed over the edge because they saw me at a wedding reception where there's liquor all over the place. Now, it's your business. It's your business. And somebody could say, well, you're very legalistic. No, I'm careful. Amen. You want to call it legalism? That's your problem. But there's so, I know there are certain thresholds you cannot cross without having consequences. And so if, you, if the person loves you or if you love the person, you will, you will put them first instead of putting the wine, the liquor, the whiskey, the whatever it is, okay? Does this shock you? You're all sitting here like, does it not make sense? Is it not practical? Do you not understand that the gospel is very practical? And if the gospel can't be applied practically, then it's not the true gospel. It's very practical. We we claim that we love people. If you love people, you will not put them in a position. If you have somebody that, that you know in your family or friends that have a sexual addiction problem or pornography on computers and phones, anything, they have a problem. You don't, when they're at your house, you don't watch R-rated movies because you love the person. Well, I've been waiting to watch this movie. So? You want to take responsibility of throwing this person into a cycle? Practical. Practical. That's called caring for one another. That's called carrying each other's burdens. That's called putting the other person before yourself. Guess what? They're all biblical principles. Well, what about me? What about me? What about me? What about me? Who cares about you? I'm sorry, it's that serious when it comes to negative cycles in a person's life. Because, you know, you and I don't know when we're going to throw somebody into a cycle that this time is going to take them to a completely different level. Maybe this time, when the gears of guilty condemnation come in, they're going to set another gear into motion called suicide. Because they did it again. And I don't want to be responsible for that. And neither do you. So, 
If you want to break the bad cycles, you want to break the negative cycles, number one, how bad do you want it? Where's your desire? Because your desire eventually is going to take you to a result. Number two, I forget what that was. Number, just whatever, just throw them out here. <laughs> Walk in the word that you know. Don't judge your future by your past. Disconnect yourself from that. Disconnect yourself from that. I found myself praying like this one night, oh, a couple of years ago. I've been praying in the spirit, praying in the spirit, praying. How many know what praying in the spirit means? Okay, praying, praying under the, under, in the ability of the Holy Spirit, praying in other tongues, praying by the spirit. And after a time, I started now, I went from that into English, and I found myself saying, Father, burn out those connectors in here that are triggering stuff. Burn them out, burn them out, burn them out. Because for years, they've been following a certain circuit. I need you now to burn that thing out. After that, I found out there was somebody preaching on television about how the circuits in your brain get, get, get patterned a certain way according to whatever, whatever conduct, whatever, whether it's, whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? You find yourself, you find yourself that it's hard for you. Pastor, you're going to say, I just don't like people. That's a circuit that developed up here. Because when the Holy Ghost came in you, he brought the love of God with him according to Romans chapter 5. Okay? So, so, so that can't be true. It can't be that God set you. It can't be that God, no, God made me this way. No, God didn't make you with that personality. God made you according to his image and his likeness. And guess what? He likes people. You, you see what I'm saying? It could be anything. It could be anything. Okay? If, you're, if you're, you found yourself where you're going these cycles of fear, okay? Pray. God, burn that thing out. But there's a cycle there. There's a circuit that's set, Father. Reset that circle. Burn it out. Burn the connection between what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing that's causing something to set off in my brain that's causing my body to respond to fear. You see how practical this is? How bad do you want it? Now, don't forget what what we prayed before. Don't forget that declaration that we made. And I pray, I'm going to just stand up because we're done, okay? We're, we're done. But this is what I pray over every single one of you. L- lift one hand up like as if you're going to catch it, okay? This is what I pray over you. I pray in the name of Jesus that every time that, you're, that you find yourself, that you're tempted to even speak a negative word over yourself, that the Holy Spirit will rise up like an alarm and go, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't say that. Don't say that. I pray that that happens from this point forward for the rest of our lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would become very much aware by the Holy Spirit's presence in our lives when we're starting to think that negative thing again. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you all. Thank you for coming out. Thanks for listening to this message. We pray that you're blessed and lifted up by God's word. If this message helped you today, please consider supporting New Beginnings financially. You can just go to newbeginningsnj.org and click the giving tab. We hope to see you soon.